Let's see, it is Sunday morning, it is June 3rd. Our message this morning is Consider How the Lilies Grow. (laughs) This is a baby dedication service, and I did something that I don't usually do. In fact, I preach against it. How about that? I used a scripture that is taken severely out of context. Consider how the lilies grow. Lily slaughter has come into the world this week. And uh, this is a new member of the body of Christ. It's a new member of Life Changing Ministries. And it's, she's a new member of the slaughter household. And I'm excited. I think that's worth celebrating. To me, baby dedications are not just something you throw at the end of a service. It's not like a politician who has to shake a certain number of hands and kiss babies because it's what you're supposed to do. This is the funnest part of my job. Get to see young couples founded on the right principles, full of love, full of faith, pouring that out into their children because I know there's hope in that next generation and I'm excited about it. Isn't Lily beautiful? The pictures don't quite do it justice up on the screen, but I thought it might help. Consider the lilies and how they grow. You're going to have to forgive me this morning. I don't usually (laughs) preach from notes. And I have them this morning. So I don't know whether that's going to be a help or a hindrance, but we'll do our best with it. Proverbs 20.25 says, It is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider its vows. How many people have said, Lord, if you get me out of this jam... I will never, blah, 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 whatever, only to find yourself later having been right back in that same setting. Nobody in here can relate to that, huh? All right, well, Mandy can. That's good. Mandy's been in my church longer than anybody else. We have a connection. Chocolate cigar in that picture. But would it matter if it wasn't? Hmm. In Luke 14, starting in the 28th verse, Jesus began to teach about a principle that we've come to know as counting the cost. By the way, that picture on the right there is my daughter. That's not Lily. Do you see her? Do you see what she's wearing? Every day I see my daughter doing something silly, like I walked in and she was wearing my wife's bra. I remember that I counted the cost. I do whatever it takes to bring her up in the ways of the Lord. Righteousness is not naturally bound up in a child's heart. I know they're cute and they're innocent. But you find the most amazing things come out of their mouth. I remember my son one day after opening the Christmas presents long before Christmas came to me and said, Dad, it's hard to do the right thing. It's hard. With tears streaming down his face. That about sums it up. We're built to live somewhere in the tension between the good that we know we should do and the good that we don't sometimes find ourselves doing. We're not angels and we're not animals. We're human beings. We're built to live somewhere in the middle and that struggle glorifies God. 14.28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Saints, if before we had children in the ideal world, if we could just spend some time thinking about what it would take to complete this task, 
<laughs> I know what you're thinking, those of you that have raised children. If you had known, would you have ever done it? Right? How? What a horrible, heart-wrenching thing. A baby comes into the world, you feed it, you clothe it, you change its diapers constantly. Can you say constantly, Nick, Wendy? Constantly. And it would be, oh, 18, 20, 25 years before that baby ever appreciates what you did. Somewhere around the time they have a baby that's causing them sleep deprivation. Those of you that are grandparents, isn't there a wonderful thing that happens? When your kids start to have kids, you become smart again. Right? All of a sudden, they look at you with a sense of reverence instead of, you know, like they were teenagers and you were stupid. Right? You know what I'm saying? I remember when my mother first held my son and... I saw the admiration, the love. In fact, she, she kept slipping, calling Judah Eric. And I realized she was just like us one time. Didn't know what she was doing. You know, not given an instruction manual. Just doing the best that she could. And despite all of the mistakes, somehow or another I'm still here. I would call that a success, wouldn't you? There's a new appreciation that comes from having children. Nick and Lindy have considered the cost. They've thought about what it means to be a godly family. They've thought about what it means to raise a godly daughter. And there are benefits to doing this right, saints. When you're considering the cost of something, it's not right to not consider the benefits of doing it right. When you go buy a car and you're considering the cost, what are you weighing it against? The car that you want. There's a product at the end of this. God has invested something in Nick and Lindy. He's invested in them the secrets of His kingdom, the power of His Holy Spirit. In fact, the Scripture declares He's given them everything that they need for life and godliness. Peter said that. But there's a reason. He wants something from them. Psalm 102, verse 28. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. What does it mean to live in the presence of God? One of the beautiful things about the presence of God is He's on the move. When the Hebrews defined His Spirit, they said the Ruach HaKodesh. You can't say that hardly without... I'm glad there's not a mirror in front of me. You would spit on it. Because so much wind has to move your tongues, your mouth just to say it. That was intentional. That was intentional because God is Spirit. The book of John declares that. And He's on the move constantly or else it's not wind. It's not spirit. Even the Greek word pneumos means the same thing. It's where Adam's tools come from. Adam has pneumatic tools. The power of the pneumos flowing through it causes movement. If you're going to live in the presence of God, you have to be willing to move when He says move. You have to be willing to stop and camp where He says to stop and camp. All too often, watch what something's happened in someone else's life. God moved like this for them, so that must be what I'm supposed to do. And we put square wheels on ourselves. We refuse to move because this is how God has always done it. I love our God. One of the things I love about Him is His creativity and His diversity. You know, statistically, they say one in three people are good looking. So if you look to your left and you're sitting next to an ugly person, that's good news for you. I'm obviously joking, but our God has glorious diversity in His creation. 
and He meant for us all to live in His Spirit. That means that our lives, being raised in the faith, raised learning, not a rule and a formula, that wouldn't work. That's square wheels. Learning how to make adjustments to your life. Learning how to correct your course. The Hebrews call it teshuba. Learning to repent or turn, change your direction to get back into the presence of God. The benefit that Lily will have growing up in this environment is not that she will see her parents doing everything right. She will see them making the course corrections that it takes to stay in the presence of God. And she will learn to live in the presence of God. And friends, that's where all the blessings are. Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Praise Yahweh. Blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who finds great delight in His commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. This basically means that if your children learn from you to live in the presence of God, to live within His framework, which is constantly changing and moving, they will always be blessed by Him. Proverbs 17.6 says, Children's children are a crown to the aged, and the parents are the pride of their children. The parents are the what? When you raise your children in the presence of God, something happens. There is a day when they will take pride in the work that you did. They will be excited for the investment that you made in them. They'll be able to look at their life and see a blessing that they didn't have to work to obtain. Isn't that what Christianity is really about? Inheriting a blessing from your father that you did not work to obtain? See, the beautiful story that we're going to get into today has to do with a mother and a father forming a family unit that mirrors God, that teaches about God and His church, that instructs children on the way that God looks, acts, feels, moves. When you see people that have a real, real deep problem with their parents, they always have a real, real deep problem with God. Love naturally flows downhill. Did you know that? All the rules you have to know for plumbing. Well, we won't get into plumbing rules. That gets kind of nasty, huh? Things flow downhill. You don't have to teach God to love His creation. It just happens naturally. You won't have to teach Nick and Lindy to love that baby. It'll happen naturally. Love does not flow naturally uphill. This is why the Bible does not teach parents to love their children, but it does teach children to love their parents. It does not teach God to love man, but it does teach man to love his God. There's something in us that flows the wrong direction. And in Christianity, in the Hebraic faith, we have to learn to make a change of course and get it to flow in two directions. The foundation of marriage. In Genesis 2.18, we see that God set something up. He said, it is not good, Adam, that you're alone. Amen, Adam? I want you to see something. That is God's opinion of the situation. That's not man's opinion. That's not woman's opinion. God looked out and said, not good that Adam's alone. And He decided to do something about it. He decides to do something about it in Genesis 2.18. And yet, that's not what Genesis 2.19 is about. 2.19 says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what He would name them. This is an important concept. 
say, well, what on earth does naming animals have to do with it's not good for man to be alone? Can you imagine the task of naming all of the animals? Wow. Duck-billed platypus. That just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Of course not. How did he do that? Well, the Hebrews choose their names based on function. In fact, there's an inference in the Scripture that there's kind of a prophetic utterance that when you name your children, it is given to you by God as a direction that they will travel in their life. So if you name someone like Cain, I don't know, spear or one that pierces, that's what it means. Was that a direction that Cain traveled in his life? Mm. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? If you name somebody Eleazar, means God, the Comforter. In his life, Eleazar, the steward of Abraham, went out and brought comfort to the promised son Isaac by bringing him a beautiful bride. You know, it has something to do with a destiny in your life. Well, what about this uh, naming the animals? God was trying to get Adam to understand something. God already knew it. The problem's not that God has to discover things. It's that we have to discover what He already knows and is trying to tell us. And in 2.18, He says, it is not good for Nicholas to be alone. But He puts Adam, Nicholas, in our parallel through these steps trying to teach him a lesson. Have you ever thought life was meaningless and your struggles were futile? They're intended to get you to learn deeper truths about God. Somewhere after naming all of these animals, Adam realized something. Wow, little squirrels come in pairs of two. The rabbits come in pairs of two, and boy, do they multiply. Young laugh, it's okay. He's a preacher. What is he talking about? Life. That's what we're talking about today. Adam noticed that, and he said, Well, I'm alone. They all have helpers that are made for them, helpers that look like them. Helpers that are suited for them. And I don't have that. God wanted him to come to a revelation after studying the animal's names and function. And apparently he gets it. Because in verse uh, 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. How fortunate is it that we have family in here today. There's a lesson that people need to see in marriage ceremonies and in marriage covenants that is often overlooked because... Preachers are not always known for their great courage. They'd rather be known for their eloquent words. Something should happen in a marriage ceremony. In fact, this is what the unity candle is for. You come in with two flames, one on either side of the church. Those two flames light a center candle, creating a new entity. And what happens to the other two flames? <laughs> yeah, and if they don't get put out, run quickly and put them out yourself. This is because this couple here has become a new entity under God. God created them suitable for one another, helpers for each other, as if they are two halves of one human being. Why would a man leave his father and mother? Because he was not supposed to stay within the security of their new entity. He was not supposed to stay under their provision, their direction, their accountability, their judgment, any of those things. 
supposed to stand a new family unit before God with new hope, new life, new chances. Now, does that mean that you disregard the advice and the wisdom of those who are around you? Of course not, unless it's wrong. (laughs) Then you're absolutely free to disregard it. This is because God wanted each little family unit to produce fruit that looked like it. He wanted each one to have a chance to grow beyond the bounds that had bound the previous family unit. So it's good to have grandparents, and I thank you for all the grandparents in the room. You're relieved of all of your responsibilities to raise children at this point. Now you are the counselor. You're able to love them, spoil them, but it's not your job anymore to raise them. It's wrong for children to want their parents to raise their kids. That's not how God intended it. That's like a husband trying to make his wife carry the load for work. Something is inherently wrong with this. In any case, we'll move on. (laughs) A healthy marriage is a must. From Genesis, we see that a man learned of his need for a wife. Nick, don't ever forget that God created you to need your wife. It's not wrong. Ladies, don't be upset that your husband needs you. This is how God designed you. You are two halves of the same human being. We also see that a man and woman were originally created one. In fact, the poem that starts the Bible, the creation story, says that God made them male and female. He made mankind. Speaking of one entity that was male and female, how unusual is that? I don't understand it. Don't pretend to. But later we see Adam... And then something come out of Adam, and now we have a woman that is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. This is because God designed this. In fact, something hurts inside single people. You're yearning. You're longing to find that other half of you. And in God's mercy and in His grace, He's so kind, there's not just one half of you out there somewhere. He's the God of the second, third, fourth, and hundredth chance. Isn't that awesome? A foundational truth that must be acknowledged in the beginning is that a husband and wife form a new, independent entity under heaven. Immediately after the formation of the very first family, a husband and a wife, we have a fall. I mean, as soon as God puts the building blocks in place for the reordering... That's right, there's a picture of Nick, Lindy, or Lily in every slide... This is a preacher's dirty trick to get you to pay attention. How about that, huh? It's hard to imagine that from here comes a beautiful baby. You know, one day inside the mother and the next day, new life in the world. Wow. There was a promise that is spoken to Eve some 6,000 years ago. And mankind's been pregnant with that promise ever since. That the earth itself would be redeemed from the offspring that comes from a woman's body. And sometimes you can't see it, but we know that it's coming. Just like when you look at that woman right there, you knew a baby was coming. Immediately after the foundation of a family is laid, the enemy came in like a flood. And he came in like a flood because this ruling entity, a man and his wife, producing offspring, ordering... Do you remember that early on in Genesis, there are these words, now the earth was formless and void. The idea for this is kind of like the Wild West. It was unruly, is what the Hebrew speaks of. And so God put a ruling entity on the planet for the purpose of populating it and ruling it. In other words, we're God's 
sheriffs, if you will. We're supposed to be here straightening out what is wrong as God's agent on the earth. The enemy saw this and he rushed in like a flood and he caused the woman to be tempted and the man with her in disobedience to occur. And we get this prophecy. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Have you ever noticed people of faith often have a hard time having children? I mean, is that biblical or not? Abraham and Sarah, easy time having babies, right? No? How, how about Isaac and Rebecca, easy time having babies? No? Jacob and Rachel? No? Not an easy time? Well, if God wants us to have godly offspring as the ruling agent on the planet, why is it hard to have godly children? Why? Because there's an enemy that opposes us. And we need to realize that. Part of counting the cost is knowing that you will be resisted. Not just from the sinful nature that is in you, what the Jews call evil inclination. Not just from the evil inclination in a child. But the creation itself has been subjected to a frustration and a power that does not want the establishment of godly families. This should be no surprise to us. What's the divorce rate in the United States? It's over 50%. There was good news last week. Fox News said the divorce rate is going down, right? Good news, isn't it? No. The divorce rate is going down because fewer people are getting married. The enemy has been wise from the beginning. And he knows that the way to destroy the next generation is to attack the marriage foundation. So when we're studying a baby dedication, oh, I know, we're charismatics, right? Throw some oil on the baby's head and get them moving on down the line. It doesn't work that way. You want your child to be blessed? Then you must dedicate them rightly to the Lord. And it's not an event. It's a lifestyle. The event is just supposed to remind you of what you're supposed to do. And it starts with a wholesome, godly marriage. In Genesis, we find these terms, these generalizations for the roles in marriage. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Lindy, yeah, look at her face right now. (laughs) I was there. It hurt, you know. As much as I like to joke with people and say, you know, didn't hurt me a bit. Wasn't a big deal. This beautiful woman was in some serious agony. And thank God for epidurals, right? Now, come on, medical science can't get the biggest amen that we get today. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. God is ordering the creation from the beginning. And one of the things that he says is, Mamas, you're going to bring the babies into the world. And your husband is going to be an authority over you. To the man, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. If you read this in the King James, it says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Through painful toil, you will eat it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. You can see in very general terms that a man was given the job of providing for his home. He was given the job of working the ground while the wife was given the job of rearing children. 
Now, I know we've been taught these are arcane, backwards principles. And yet, this is the way that God laid this out. Now, don't anybody throw things at me. I know how this is. People get their feelings hurt. They get their toes stepped on. They say, that preacher's saying that the way we're doing it's not right. No, I'm not saying that. Our roles are not mutually exclusive. It doesn't mean that the wife can't help provide. It doesn't mean that the husband can't help raise children. In fact, God designed these roles to overlap. But there is a burden of responsibility that has to fall somewhere. The same way that you, when you assign tasks in a workplace, ultimately everything goes right up to the top. The CEO is responsible for everything, but he spends very little time pre- preparing meals in the cafeteria. The church works the same way. We all have our different functions and our different roles, and yet we are all equal. Doesn't the Bible teach us that? But in equality, that does not mean that all of our roles are exactly the same, does it? My wife and I are very different. She's happy that I changed the tires on the car. Doesn't mean she's not capable of changing the tires on the car, but she sure is happy that I do it. I am some kind of happy that she's more gifted with children than I am. She spends a few hours with them and comes out just as sane and as happy as can be. The few hairs I have on my head fall out after I've had to watch the kids for four hours by myself. Something happens. There's a proximity alarm on my children. And the moment mom is 20 feet from the driveway and going to be gone for at least two hours, they lose all bowel and bladder control. It can end up between their shoulders, on the walls, anywhere. I mean, there's just no telling. Something about me says, you know, I'm designed for lots of things. This may not be one of them. It's not good that a man is alone. You were right, God. In very general terms, you can see that their restoration, the man and the woman's, would come as the husband worked to provide for the family and the wife produced godly offspring. The purpose of this joint venture, this beautiful thing that God created with a husband and a wife. Adam heard the promise and their respective roles. Then with some level of exuberance, he named his wife Eve. Do you remember that names have to do with function? Names have to do with the way that a person's life would be directed. This is the first human being that was ever named by another human being. And when he looked at his wife, he didn't see somebody who sinned and who had fallen. He didn't see somebody who was deceived by a serpent. He didn't see somebody that was a weaker vessel. He didn't see somebody full of inadequacies and flaws. He heard God's promise spoken and he said, Wow, you are going to be the mother of every living thing. You're going to be the mother of the living one. And this was the hope that she had. His hope was dependent upon her. And her hope was dependent upon him. In Corinthians 11, Paul says then, a woman's not independent of a man and a man is not independent of a woman. The foremost purpose in marriage is to produce the offspring that would crush the enemy's head and bring life. Can you imagine the first time Eve was pregnant? I mean, we get excited and we've seen this process before, right? I mean, go to a labor and delivery ward. They catch a hundred babies a day, right? But they don't ever treat it like, oh yeah, look, here, throw this one to the side and get me another one. They do it constantly and yet there's a smile on people's faces. The work never gets so mundane that it's not a miracle for a child to be born. What do you think the first parents were like? Adam's checking Eve out. 
baby, how much fruit did you eat? You know? Something's happening, you know? I'm not saying you're not beautiful, but you're changing, you know? Something's happening to you. With anticipation, every day they looked at this belly grow and they waited and they wondered, she's going to be the mother of the living one who will crush the enemy. Could it be this one? Could it be this one? How exciting must that have been? Every mother still gives birth with the same hope. You say, but wait a minute, Jesus has already come. So how do we have the same hope? The body teaches that when we, or the Bible teaches that when we, the body of Christ, have godly children and they are joined to the body of Christ, we are completing the body of Christ on earth. There is a certain number of us that must be born again. There's a certain representative group from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the planet that must come into the body of Christ to be complete. We are still fulfilling the promises of God by having godly children. Is it any mistake that our birth rates are dropping off? That our marriages are falling apart? Is it any mistake? No, we have an enemy with a battle plan. And the Bible teaches us to be aware of his schemes. I watch these shows with my wife on Discovery Channel. There's a family called the Duggars and, I don't know, lots of different families. They rotate. But these are all families with more than ten kids. And it's treated as an anomaly. Go back 60, 70 years, that would have been average. Not an anomaly. Not something strange. You say, well, things have changed. We're not an agricultural society. Lots has changed. But the biggest reason is we've become more and more selfish with every generation. I've had three children. They're all a blessing. But the thought of a fourth makes my toes curl. Because there's still so much self left in Eric. There's still so many of Eric's desires that have to do with Eric. How honorable is it that human beings will dedicate their whole life to another little human being who won't even appreciate it till they have children themselves? Hmm. Awesome. Is this arcane or is this progressive? This is the most attacked Scripture in all of the Bible by today's progressive intellectual elite. You remember that the Bible says the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God? You remember that next time you see somebody with a Ph.D. that doesn't know G.O.D. 1 Timothy 2.8 I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I al- Did you hear that? I want men to lift up hands without anger or disputing? So if you've been taught in church it's wrong to lift up hands, you need to decide who is right and who is wrong. I'm going to stick with the inspired Word of God even if the seminaries disagree with it. Is that fair enough for you? Otherwise, you can take out your Sharpie that you use as a highlighter and just fix it. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. I believe that part of this verse explains the rest. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And women should learn in quietness and full submission. This is where we get in problems. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have an authority over a man. She must be silent. Let me explain this quickly and then we'll get to the point. People quote this verse and they say that Paul was a chauvinist and that Christianity is hostile towards women. How did Jesus get here? He was dropped off by a stork, right? No? He wasn't dropped off by a stork? Well, then how did He get here? God chose to bring 
the king of the universe into this world through a woman. A woman that the Bible says all generations will call blessed. Is the Bible hostile towards women? No. In fact, the promises were first given to a woman. The plan of God for the restoration of the whole earth depends upon the obedience of a woman. So if that's true and the chain of Scripture cannot be broken, can we look a little deeper and see what Paul may be saying? Do you remember that Genesis said that her desire would be for her husband and he would rule over her? This is teaching about a responsibility in the church and in the home to teach. And that responsibility was not given for the woman to teach the husband. The husband was supposed to teach his wife. This is speaking of Torah learning. It's speaking of who has the responsibility to be the priest in the home. Now, this looks hostile towards women. I want you to understand something. It's hostile towards you men because it means you cannot shirk your responsibilities. Oh, we've been told in our time, church is for women and children. Nothing could be further from the truth. If anything, it's you husbands that need to go to church so that you can learn and be the priest in your home. Otherwise, otherwise the Bible teaches you're a miserable failure. If you're waiting for your wife to teach you about God, you have resorted to a boy-like, childish state that is less than a man. Oh, ouch. Yeah, there's only one exit in here. (laughs) God wanted this set up in a way that the burdens of responsibility fell on the proper places to protect all that were involved. This same guy says that women can prophesy, that women can give utterances that are inspired by God to the whole church assembly. He's not teaching that women have to be silent. He's talking about in regards to this specific issue. But I'm going to move on, because you probably didn't care about that anyway, right? Verse 13, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Ouch, I bet you never heard that, huh? Then why on earth did Adam fall? Because he saw his wife's weakness, he saw what happened to her, and he willingly joined her in it. What could that be a picture of? Maybe King Jesus, who saw the condition of humanity, their weakness, their deception and sin, and willingly joined us in humanity with the hope of reviving us, restoring us, and pulling us out of our horrible condition? That's right. A husband should always put his wife's needs before his own, just like Jesus did. But women, or she... You know why I put she here? You guys are lazy today. You're not turning in your Bibles. Your Bible has a footnote here. This is a very difficult phrase to translate in Greek. And when it says, but women, the Greek word there can mean she as referring to Eve. It means both. So I put them there and I'll explain it. But women or she will be saved or restored through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This is written to a group of people who were in a city where there was a cult. And the cult taught, if you don't bring us your virgin daughters to do obscene things with at the temple, if you don't sacrifice to our gods, you will die in childbirth. And you know what? About 50% of the time they were right. You know why? Mortality rate was about 50%. So this held the people in fear. And Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage the women, no, baby, you will be saved in childbearing the same way Eve and every other godly woman 
gave birth with the hope of producing the Messiah and or completing His body. This was the hope of all mankind. You don't need to go give your children to some demonic cult. Interestingly enough, that same demonic cult also taught their priests had to be celibate. They also worshipped the Queen of Heaven. Is that getting a little closer to home? It's also the same city where Mary was declared to be the Queen of Heaven. Oh. And also the Mother of God. I'm sure that's all just a big coincidence, though. They even dug down into the earth where the temple is and found a place where the word Artemis was scratched off the temple and Mary, Mother of God, was written in. But I'm sure anything that's been taught to us and has been taught for a long time is right, huh? It feels right. Why? Because mom believed it. Dad believed it. Grandma believed it. Grandpa believed it. It must be right. What happened to that independent unit that was supposed to be born so that one generation wouldn't be a slave to the misgivings of the previous? Saints, it's time to stand up. Be men and women of God. Examine what you've been taught. Chew up the meat. Spit out the bones. Not every teaching that claims to come from the Bible is a good one or a real one. Paul understood the pattern. He is teaching that women everywhere are saved in the same hope as Eve, that the seed from her body would crush the enemy. For this to happen, everyone needs to understand and embrace their roles. Why do you think there is such disdain for these biblical roles? Debbie gets pregnant. That's right, Debbie is pregnant. Not Debbie's friends, because she has good friends. But the friends I had in school would say, oh yeah, that's right. Gabe just wants to keep her barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. They would treat this as if it was some dishonorable thing. Because Debbie can't pursue her career. What's she going to do? She's not going to have her own identity. She's just going to be Gabe's wife and the mother of some child. And they treat it like a negative thing. Am I wrong? Are you quiet because you're thinking? Are you quiet because you're mad? Are you quiet just because you're listening? The devil has worked into the fabric of our society a disdain for what is godly. In fact, Paul told this same man, Timothy, that there was a day coming when people would not tolerate sound doctrine. For this to happen, everybody needs to understand and embrace their roles. Nick understands that he must provide for his family. Lindy understands that she must teach her children what is right as her husband leads the home. Jesus has already come. Why do we go on with childbearing? Because we have to complete the body of Christ. John 10.10 teaches that Satan has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He's worked to steal these promises from us that our children can be something important. He's worked to kill the children. What happened with Cain and Abel? How did that work? The first set of boys on the earth, one killed the other. This is because the devil's trying to destroy the promises of God. Most of all, he has worked to destroy our marriage covenants. You don't need to look very far to find that true. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. You hear this quoted, but you never hear it quoted rightly or in its context. So I'm going to read it to you. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altars, altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offering or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, 
Why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith or trust with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are His. And why one? What is the purpose of marriage? Why is God upset about a marriage covenant being broken? Because He was seeking godly offspring. Did I make that up or is that written right there? Have you ever heard somebody look at somebody who's been divorced, right? And they speak with this horrible religious kind of venom. Say, God hates divorce. (laughs) Well, He hates that people do things that hinders the raising of godly offspring. He does. He also hates a haughty spirit. That's a good reminder for people to run around telling everybody God hates divorce. I'm not a big fan of divorce, but why? Because I want these children to be protected. I want these children to be raised by a mom and dad who loved them forever. If you ever hear somebody say God hates divorce, you need to qualify it. Why does He hate it? He hates it because He cares about Lily. (laughs) He cares about your children. I don't want to go too far down this road, but I've met a few that the best thing they ever did was divorce. So how can you say that and be a preacher? Because God wants godly offspring. And when mom and dad are pulling off each other's toenails and throwing things at each other, it hurts the babies. It does. This household is built in peace. Look at Jesus' words. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man separate. This is a Hebraic way of referencing adultery. We've been taught that adultery is this physical act that occurs outside of marriage. That's part of it, but that's not adultery. Biblical adultery is an awful tearing of two people. An awful tearing. Why would I go through all of this on a baby dedication day? Because a marriage is something to be protected for Lily's sake. And it doesn't have to do just with acts that happen outside of a marriage. It has to do with anything that would try to tear the bond of connectedness that these two people have. Do you see these little feet sticking in up here? Those are Lily's feet. But that's incomplete, isn't it? Don't you want to see the rest of her body? Yeah, that's what it's like looking at two people who are married but live separate lives. This is a team. This is a team. It's an incomplete picture to have just a husband, just a wife. God intended both to be there. The enemy attacks in this area to prevent you from raising children and completing the Lord's plan. These two people have become one. Let's think about why God called us. This is an amazing thing. Abraham is the most prolific figure in all of the Bible. He has the highest calling in all of the Bible, at least as we're talking about normal human beings, not the God-man, Jesus. Abraham will surely become great and powerful nation. How awesome is that? And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. That means everybody in this room has received some blessing as a result of Abraham living. He became a great and a powerful nation and that nation has blessed every nation on earth. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
That's not why God called him, though. Look at verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. You understand that Abraham's called to be a great and powerful nation for everybody on the earth to be blessed through him. But where did it start? In his own household, teaching his own children. All requirements for ministry come from the household. You are not fit to serve in the church of the living God if you do not first serve your wife and children. You want to find out whether somebody is godly? Integrity is what you do when no one is looking. Go find out from their family. Oh, I know. I'm a preacher with kids. I know what people say about preachers' kids. I invite you. Inspect my family. Look at them closely. It says something about me, and I'm proud of what it says. Do the same thing for every other man of God you meet. What the God of the universe has invested in you was intended to be passed on to the next generation. This is one of those psalms that you need to mark in your Bibles, especially if you're a parent. Psalm 78, verse 1, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide from them their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. Did you hear that? Even the children yet to be born. What Nick pours into Lindy and Nick and Lindy pour into Lily will affect children that are not even born yet. How do I know that? Let's just talk for a minute outside of the Bible. I've got a father-in-law and mother-in-law in this room, and what they poured into my wife has affected my three children before they were ever born. How awesome is that? And you know what? It will continue to roll on down through the generations. The blessings that you impart to your children are not lost. They keep being replanted in the generations to come. Unless, of course, you are cowardice, gutless, totally spineless, and won't stand up and be the man or woman of God you're supposed to be, and you stop the blessing, then you impart something totally different to your children's children's children. Praise God that we serve a God of grace. That others' failures don't set our teeth on edge. God will let you start over with each generation. But make no mistake, every couple imparts something to their children. This is not a time to look back upon your life with regret. It's a time to examine your life and decide what you'll do today. When you preach messages like these, there's always mothers and fathers in the room thinking, I didn't do such a good job. Hey, we're here, aren't we? Do a good job today. Be a great grandparent. Be a great parent tomorrow. Start fresh. Verse 7, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. When do people keep God's commands and trust in Him? When they were told from the generation before them. How many times have you heard this? Proverbs 22, 6. 
train a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. How do you always hear that said? Well, you know, I brought him up right in the Lord, so I know he's living like total hell right now, but he will come back. That's not what that Scripture says, friends. It says, train a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, meaning if you aim them correctly, they will walk in it all of their life. Oh my God, is that convicting. That means that you can examine a child's life and learn something about the parents. Say, hey, would you dedicate my baby? Would you lay hands on my baby's head and pray for my baby? Would you take him up in front of the church so we can have a picture? Sure. But if you don't do the work day in and day out from that point forward, it's almost meaningless. I said almost. It's not meaningless. There was a glimmer of hope in my parents. There was something that they hung on to. The faith of a woman whose family didn't raise her right. Something to hang on to. And she believed God spoke to her about me and said, this one will be mine. And she filed that in the back of her heart. Oh yeah, not everything was done right in my life. But there was that seed of hope that my mother was pregnant with. And as soon as I got born again, it flourished in her. And it flourished in the father that my God gave me. God is good. Friends, He's the God of the second, third, fourth, tenth chance. He will take your scrambled eggs and make something beautiful out of them. He's the only God that can put it all back together again. Nick, Lindy, I want you to know this idea to train them means to start them, to discipline them. As you would train an athlete for a marathon, you are training Lily for life. This means an increasing level of responsibility throughout her years, training her to live in the presence of God in all circumstances. That's a cute picture, isn't it? You remember I was telling you not everything that's fun in the world is wrong? We think church has to be so dignified. We have to wear certain kinds of clothes. We have to act just a certain way. I want to tell you something. Jesus is into this too. He really is. He cares about repelling off of buildings and being silly in front of cameras and enjoying life. If you picture the apostles walking around with a shimmering aura around them all of the time and little bitty dainty mouths and hands trying to show how spiritual they are, you've not read this book very much. Peter hacked off a guy's ear with a sword that he just happened to be carrying. But our God put it back on. I thank You He fixes our mistakes. You have a responsibility to train Lily, to discipline Lily. It's hard work, isn't it? In fact, we're told in Exodus 12, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land the Lord is giving you, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you... This is one of my favorite things about Judaism. I love this. Judaism is set up around your children asking you questions. Judaism means that you live a life usually characterized by giving to the poor, studying the Torah, and repenting from unrighteousness so that your children say, Mom, Dad, why'd you do that? They're supposed to see something that you do and ask, why? <laughs> Anybody that's had kids, you know there is a long, uncomfortable stage where they ask, why? You know, Dad, why are you doing that? Well, because I need to fix the tire. Why? 
Because we want to drive in the car. Why? Because I need to go to work. Why? Because I want to make some money. Why? Because you want transformers. Why? You know, They can ask why until you are just worn out. Have you ever wondered why God did that though? All children go through it. Have you ever wondered why? He's trying to create in the parent the awareness your child is learning from everything that you do. He's trying to get you to do what you were first called to do, which is teach the babies. In Deuteronomy 6, He tells us to impress them on our children. I want you to get this. He didn't say just tell them. He didn't say recite them. He didn't say get your kids to read them. He said impress them. Push it into them. Use force if necessary. I had to put a seal in a bearing and hub assembly on Fred's truck the other day. I called Adam and I said, you know, Adam, sometimes... I can be more brutish than I should. How hard do I hit this thing? He said, you get a wood block and you hit it hard enough to go in. (laughs) I'm not teaching that you should be overbearing with Lily or your kids or anybody else. You use enough force to get the point across, though. And sometimes it's forceful love. Sometimes it's loving discipline. I had the healing warmth of my father's hand flow through my backside on many occasions. (laughs) Ephesians 6 carries this warning. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You are training them every day. Paul's instructions to Timothy about how to pick men in the church to be the government of the church, basically says if a guy does not do a good job with his own household, he's disqualified from being in the church. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever been part of a church that picked a a pastor based on his resume? His fundraising abilities? His oratory skills? How good-looking he was. Boy, you must be disappointed. Right? How about his family lineage? His father was a pastor. His father's father was a pastor. And what did they say about pastors' kids? The Bible tells us to pick our leaders in church based on how they have done with their families. Why? Because that little thing that you've done in private, that you've been trustworthy with in private, qualifies you to be given more. That's why. This is how the Bible works. Ministry flows from the family. The reason that ministry flows from a family is the family is the building blocks for the body of Christ. When we fail to obey God by training our children and managing our households, the results are painful. Proverbs 29.15, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Why? Whose primary role was it? Mom's. Do you think it doesn't disgrace the father? Of course it does. Of course it does. But the mother first because of the chain of authority. How sad is that? This never happens in an instant. I want to tell you real life how it happens while y'all read that if you want. It happens because you just wanted one night where you and your wife could have dinner in a restaurant without having to have the meal interrupted to stop and discipline your children. There's a great example of how it happens. And that one time of ease, 
turns into a habitual thing. It's always easier not to discipline your children. Always. (laughs) I can't tell you the number of times Jennifer and I look at each other with this unspoken language. Please, you do it this time. I know this will surprise you, but one of my sons took his fist and propelled it as fast and as hard as he could into my groin yesterday. So I was gasping for air on my kitchen floor, counting the cost about raising children, wondering what on earth I had done wrong to produce children who wanted to hurt me in this way. And I looked up at my wife with this longing that words could not express. And she said, you want me to spank him? Please. I went past a field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of a man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. You do not have to look long before you see that parents have been lazy with their children. Because what is in their evil inclination comes out everywhere. Now, I'm not talking about judging someone based on what you see in a moment. All of these beautiful little angels are capable of horrendous things. As mine did yesterday. (laughs) I'm talking about a habitual lifestyle. It is as much sin not to discipline your children as it would be to abuse your children. It's just a different kind of abuse. Saints, are you hearing me? Do you think we have a generation that doesn't understand this? My favorite story about private school. My mother, private school teacher. My father, a private school administrator. A parent comes in and says, well, you just need to beat his... And he used this word that some people use for a donkey. Thinking, why on earth would my mother need to do that? Because we come from a generation that wants to be our children's friends. I don't care not even a little bit about being my children's friends. And I think it's sin for you to want to. I want to be totally honest. You know what I care about? Being a godly priest in my home. Doing what is right. Teaching them what the Word says through my actions. And it just so happens that the result is they love me. It doesn't come from compromise, folding the hands and looking the other direction. Go to a neighborhood swimming pool. Watch the mothers tell the lifeguards to correct their kids and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I want you to consider something because we're going to move to a place in this message where you're going to take vows. You as the church are going to take vows to support them. They as a mother and father are going to take vows that will mean something so that when we dedicate this baby, it is not a hollow religious gesture. The reason we went through all of this teaching was so that we would know what we were getting into. If you can't take the vows, it's okay. Get up and get out. Right? This is for people that want to join in this high honor. A warning. Gideon conquered kingdoms for God. Kingdoms. Do you hear me? But he had one son who murdered 69 on a single rock in a single day. How do you feel about that one? 
The great faith of Gideon, but a failure in his first responsibility. I'm not throwing stones at Gideon. His weaknesses were recorded so that I wouldn't repeat them. Eli judged Israel for 40 years, but because he refused to discipline his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, he became a disgrace. God cut off his whole family line said, I don't want these guys to impart anything to Israel. Samuel, an awesome prophet, the first prophet, the last judge, a man of God among men of God. And his sons Abiah and Joel were perverted and accepted bribes. You think I would be happy to be the President of the United States, have history books dedicate chapters to me, but fail to raise godly sons? Boy, you talk about messed up priorities. David had a heart after God. He killed giants. Last week I talked to you about that. He was a great king. How do you think he felt when he had a rapist son and not just a son that was a rapist, but who raped one of his other children? How about a son who led an insurrection and slept with his own wives? David's wives. That would be his stepmoms on top of David's house. Continual family infighting. David had a heart after God. How does this happen? Little sleep, little slumber, little rest, little folding of the hands. Parenting is very hard work. And those who take it seriously will reap that reward. Those who don't, reap that reward. Solomon, wisdom beyond measure, the wisest man who ever lived. How did he do? How about that? Let's look at some right examples. Mary gets told... (laughs) Hey, precious, no, you're a virgin, you're betrothed, but you're going to be pregnant with a promise from God. How's that strike you? But how could this be? Well, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay, but what do I tell my husband to be? That was never discussed. What about the townspeople? You know, when they call me a whore, how do I react to that? When they act like I'm a woman of low character... What do I do? She didn't do any of that. What did she say? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. You want to be a good mama? You don't worry about what anybody thinks. Not grandparents, not employers, not even your pastor when it comes to what God has told you to do. You say, may it be to me as you have said. Whether in disgrace or in honor, you do what is right for Lily. How about Manoah? Did you even know there was a Manoah in the Bible? No, but you knew there was a Samson. Listen to Manoah's prayer. He gets told that he's going to have a son that is remarkable, that is supernatural. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. If you've ever been a parent and you held that baby in the hospital room, this beautiful anointing comes over you if you're a Spirit-filled Christian and you feel close to God, something that is awesome. But as that newness wears off in your home staring at this baby that is totally dependent upon you, this other feeling comes. Oh my God, how do I do this? You know, Lord, did you pick the wrong guy? I'm not that patient. Sometimes I shout, even at babies. You see a mom with frantic look in her eyes. 
my husband's going back to work. I feel trapped. I haven't slept. The baby needs to eat and I don't know how to feed it. It might not work right. Feel all of those things. There has to be a heart in a parent that says, Lord, I'm dependent upon You to teach me what to do. I read Dr. Spock. Don't read that one. I've read what to expect when you're pregnant, what to expect with your toddler. I've read everything everybody will give me. I talk to everybody, but I need you to teach me. And He has to be your strength. Do you see verse 9? Why don't you all read verse 9? Read that out loud. Who? God heard Manoah. You think God doesn't hear a parent's prayer when He says, teach me how to raise a kid, when the only reason you were married, the only reason you were put on the earth, was to raise up a generation who would do this right? He hears you. There is no prayer that's prayed that is any closer to God's ear than the parent who's asking how to give his child direction. How about Hannah? Hannah goes and cries before God. She says, Lord Most High, if you would just give me a baby, his whole life will be given up. One of my father had his life mapped out for him from birth. He was to go to this college, play this position, and this football team, blah, 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 blah. The father was just utterly devastated when the young man got born again and had different priorities. In fact, he threw him out of the house. Nick and Lindy have to adjust themselves today that Lily's whole life's given over to the Lord, whatever His will is. It's one thing to pray, not my will be done, but your will be done when it's about you. It's harder when you're praying that about your wife. But the ultimate hard task is to pray that about your children. Lord, I wanted a doctor. You wanted a martyr. God wouldn't do that. Oh, you had not read this book very much. I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Wow. Nick and Lindy Slaughter, are you ready for some vows? Why don't you all come on up here with your baby? Saints, I'm going to have whatever you like. Hey, watch this. You're the parents. You're in control. I'll follow your cues. We're going to read some vows that they will take. And then as a church... We're going to take vows to support them. Do you think that they understand what it takes to be a married couple in love with the Lord and raise godly children? Yes. Well, I'll give you a hint. They understand more than most of us did when we had kids. Yeah, they got a great big head start. What's that mean about Lily? She has a great big head start. And her children? You know that little girl has her children in her, figuratively speaking, right now? So when we pray and we dedicate her, start her right in the way with the Lord, we're directing generations to come, saints. <laughs> Look at that precious. I want you to know she loves her pastor already. I got to hold her the other day in the hospital and she opened her eyes and looked at me. And I think what she was trying to say was, I want Pastor to hold me. <laughs> Jennifer took her from me. 
You ready to take your vows? Okay, you're going to respond to the church because they're witnesses of what you're doing. Like Mary and Joseph, will you view parenting as your service to the Lord? Absolutely. Like Manoah, will you ask for and accept the instruction from the Lord regarding training Lily in righteousness? Like, will you yield your will for Lily's life to God's will, acknowledging and acting as if her whole life belongs to the Lord? Y'all believe them, saints? Yes. Finally, will you train her through your actions and discipleship to love the Lord with all of her heart, all of her mind, all of her soul, and all of her strength? Y'all believe them? Yes. I do too. So we're going to pray... We're going to dedicate Lily to the Lord. And then there's something that, as a church, I want to read to us all. Oh, Matt, back that up one. Y'all can pray with me. Y'all pray quietly to yourselves. I'm going to pray with them, and then we're going to read something to us. Look at this precious. Mighty, mighty God. Lord, we lift up this beautiful baby to You. More than that, Lord, we lift up these parents to You. We pray that You would bring Your instruction into their lives for the manner in which she's to be raised. We lift up her husband today. Lord, wherever he is, when he's to be born, or if he's on the earth, we pray for the husband of Your choosing. Lord, we lift up her whole little life before You. We ask You to keep her in Your presence all the days of her life. Lord, we ask for wisdom and the leading of the Spirit to be upon her father and mother for their marriage covenant to be strong, for their unity to be as one, even in the most difficult times, that Lily would see an example of Jesus and Nick, that he w- she would see an example of the church in Lindy. We thank You for this precious baby. Lord, we rejoice that You've given us this responsibility to see Lindy raised in the presence of God. In the name of Jesus, we dedicate this girl to You. Amen. Oh, look, she's stretching. She Look, she raised her hand. She's receiving the blessing. When she's learning to talk, you'll think she's speaking in tongues. All right. Now, church, we're going to present them with a certificate. This certificate was presented on June 3, 2007 as a testament to the dedication of Lily Bell Slaughter before the Lord and His servants at Life Changing Ministries and Fellowship. Nicholas and Lindy Slaughter have both taken solemn pledges before our God in the name of Jesus the Christ to train Lily Bell Slaughter in the ways of our faith. They understand that it is the will of our God to have one godly generation raise up the next and have pledged to carry out this responsibility with all diligence and faithfulness. We, the body of life-changing ministries and fellowship, pledge to support this holy endeavor using the authority that Jesus has endowed His church with to correct His people, encourage them, and instruct them in the ways of holiness. Do you accept this pledge? To one holy end, the raising of a godly family, do we, the body of life-changing ministries and fellowship, unite with Nick and Lindy Slaughter in this high honor and calling from the Lord. Do you accept this high honor and calling? Do you accept this high honor and calling? Y'all stand to your feet and we're going to pray with them.
then we're going to sign this as a witness for all time that these two are going to raise her in a godly way. It's not about the prayer saints. That is a great start. It's about what happens the day after the prayers are prayed. Amen? One of the hardest things on earth is to look at a little girl that you love and have to discipline her and to know when is right to encourage her and when's not. It'll take instruction from our God. There is no other way to do it. Moms and dads don't have the patent on wisdom and knowledge in this area, but God does. Amen? Y'all pray with the saints. Holy God, we lift up this family before You. We as a church pledge to support them. Lord, not to try to usurp their authority, but to support their decisions. Lord God, right or wrong, we will stand with them in adversity. We will love them and try to be a guiding, calming, stabilizing influence in their life. We trust them because You have trusted them. Lord, we believe that You will speak to them before anyone else about Lily's welfare. In fact, we're dependent upon it. We love You and we thank You for this great task. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.